1: Hey guys, welcome to The Remnant Radio. My name is Michael Roundtree. Have an exciting show with our To Be Continued uh, series talking about ministry time. Have Elijah Stevens with us.
0: Stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Josh Lewis out of town. He's on vacation, but we're super excited to have... Uh, Elijah back with us. He's been in town and he and I have been getting to hang out a whole lot this week. It's been a lot of fun, but uh, got an exciting episode coming up. Uh, want to make sure that you guys know a little bit about what we have uh, coming down the pike. We got next week, Dr. Jordan Cooper back with us, that famous Lutheran theologian that is all over the YouTubes. And he's talking about regenerative baptism, that topic you guys love to argue about. So, uh, is somebody born again and somehow in relation to the waters of baptism, or are they born again and then baptism just kind of stamps the deal afterwards? So we're going to talk about that historic debate. Uh, also have uh, an episode about abortion coming up on Tuesday, a follow up to something we did in June because you guys uh, were interested in that. So uh, and then on Wednesday of this coming week, we're uh, going to continue back in our revival series and Michael Miller who's also with us, uh, is going to talk about the Scots Worthies. That is, uh, the Scottish reformers and and the revival that took place and some of the miracles and visions and things uh, that they were able to see. So Uh, This To Be Continued episode, something we do every Wednesday where we're talking about all things gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Today we're talking about ministry time, specifically, uh, it it can be altar-related ministry, so at the end of a service, you know, you got prayer teams or whatever, but it could also be something that's going on in your small group, or it could be even from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, just how do we shepherd ministry time? It's going to be especially important if you're a church leader, or if you're just somebody in the church that wants to grow in the gifts of the Spirit, wants to see this. Happening more. This is going to be one of our more practical episodes, and Elijah has written a book about it. Um, Elijah, how are you doing, bud? Doing great. Doing great. Doing great, dude. You like, you like, rushed here straight from the airport, right? Yeah. So dropped some bags off, came back. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about this book that you got. Okay, uh, it's
2: called Leading Ministry Time. I wrote it because you have up. to show it, or oh. we don't even believe it exists. Which camera? Yeah. Right there. Boom, that one. Uh, Leading ministry time. Yeah, uh, I wrote it because when I I was a vineyard pastor, um, we learned about kingdom lifestyle, you know, praying the fivefold model. But no one ever taught me how to lead ministry time. Like, what? What do you do when you're the guy on the stage or the guy leading a small group? And so I was like, "Mm, this was hard to learn. Maybe I can make it easier for the average pastor or small group leader. So is that what you do when you don't know how to do something? You just like up
1: and write a book about it? You just write a book. That's yeah. what you do if you're yeah. Elijah Stevens. Okay, yeah. so uh, can they order it on Amazon? Sure. Yeah, yeah. okay, so order that book on Amazon. And, and Michael Miller, shout out to Denver Reclamation Church. How you doing over there? I don't know. Does Michael exist? He does. There you know, we are. Hey, what are you doing, bud? You just hiding out over there?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, hanging out in the basement as always. Uh, excited to be on this episode with you guys, excited to, this is the first time I've gotten to do an episode with uh, Elijah, so that's actually really fun for me, because he and I have corresponded for a little bit over the last, I guess, couple months, um, and then uh, yeah, we actually had some ministry time at the church in Denver last night, so I'm excited, oh, cool. uh, I've invited all my church to, to watch this episode today, just because we're, we're sort of hoping to form those teams and train them up, so this will be really helpful. Yeah,
1: absolutely, um, so real quick. Tech person, Stacy. I noticed it's not showing Michael on the screen. Okay, you got it. Okay. Uh, oh. we have Stacy from my church who's helping on tech because Josh is out of town. And Stacy is awesome to come in and help us. So thank you so much, Stacy. Um, okay, so uh, Elijah spoke at my church on Monday night. We had some pretty awesome ministry oh, we time. Did. Now that we was did. interesting the mm-hmm. way you shepherded that, because I I was really impressed by the fact that you're just like, we're just gonna wait on the Holy Spirit. And we just waited. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. whatever happens, it's like oh was it like an awkward
3: waiting yeah, or
1: somebody you know somebody i think you had a burning in your chest and sure. then somebody else had a burning in their chest and that led to a, a moment of prayer and then a mm-hmm. uh, a pivotal moment for somebody in a prophetic word that was shared and just one thing after another we just kind of so so throughout this episode episode you're going to talk us through how to do that right if, if you're leading it from the front or in various other situations we've described so uh so with that and miller you just chime in wherever but um Elijah, uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start on the small group level, on ministry time afterward, or is there some Mm -hmm. foundational things you need to set? Yeah, I I, I want to
2: start on the small group level because if you can't do it in small group, you shouldn't be doing it from the stage. And the best place for a leader to learn is a small group because they're a lot more forgiving. They're usually your friends or, you know, the most hungry people in your church comes to a small group to learn to do ministry time. And so... I think that's the best place to start. Okay, so so small group. So how do you how do you guide?
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, actually, I'm going to even back up from that. Okay,
2: what is ministry time? What do okay. you mean by it? Yeah, uh, ministry time is when a group of believers partners together to um, do kingdom ministry. They they want to find out what Jesus is doing and and partner with him. And okay. with that, there's always risk and. Uh, you know, you can have healthy ministry time. You can have, uh, you know, harmful ministry time. And so the question then becomes is how do I see the power every time? Uh, how do I, and how do I keep it healthy? Okay. So Miller, any
1: questions, thoughts so far?
3: Well, I just wanted to clarify something in the, uh, title for this pod, for this YouTube podcast, we've got it saying, uh, how to do alter ministry, Um Altar is such a strange word because it's not like we're up there sacrificing someone. You remember John Weber used to make that that <laughs> joke when they said "come to the altar," and he's like, "Where's the altar? Where's the knife?" <laughs> you know? He had no idea. Uh, so. <laughs> We, we we say that, we mean uh, something different than that. We, what we mean is this is a place where we're going to be praying for each other and just sort of partnering with God to see what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that that's really where Elijah's he he's going to, obviously he's written a book on it. So you excel in this quite a bit.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned harmful, like what does harmful ministry time mean? Um, does that mean unbiblical? Like, so harmful is in it offends
2: God. Is it like harmful because it hurts people yeah. both? Um I, I think it is both. It's when we like do our will in God's name. Um, you know, I I talk about this in my book. I, I had a friend one time and uh, he had a girlfriend. She had uh, cancer. And so they go to get prayer, you know, every Sunday at their church. And then she passes away and he's told she died because of a lack of your faith. And so Jeez. like Ministry time has harmed a lot of people. I, I have friends who say I have PTSD because of things that happen in my didn't, church as didn't a child.
1: you like lose
2: a tooth in ministry time or something like that? N- no, I didn't lose a tooth, but I was like holding my hands out like this and closing my eyes, and a guy. You lost a hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> came and pushed me, and I fell forward and hit his mic, and like blood was gushing out of my mouth. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, what do you think about like uh, you
1: know the stories about Smith Wigglesworth and how he would kick somebody and and they would get healed, and yeah. then you get like Tom Bentley coming around and he's doing it, and of course Tom Bentley's kind of had his uh, massive right. fall. But I, I mean, what do you make of? Let's go with Smith. Sure. Uh, you know, you know me and Smith, we go way back. Right, oh, right, kind right. of on a first name
2: basis. But um, what do you make of that? I, Is there a place for that ever? I don't have a grid for it. Yeah. um because i i don't see circumstances where god's ever prompted me to go kick somebody um and yeah i i i just don't run in those circles miller what about you you've done, you've done a lot of that healing
1: ministry what do you think you ever do some kicking you, uh you, you no ever no do kicking over there at reclamation church <laughs> no not yet uh i mean i would say
3: that there's been times where i felt prompted to do some rather strange things but nothing violent like that. Um, you know, I, and you see this in scripture and I don't know, I mean, there's some people who try to give you explanations for why one time Jesus would pray for a man who's blind and he would say, you know, eyes be open, apophtha, same with the ears, right? And then other time where he'd make mud, right? And I don't know, there, there may be some meaning that would have been known to its original audience, but I really don't know. I just know that, that part of it is partnering with the spirit and listening to him for that. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it's never okay to kick someone in ministry time. <laughs> like, I don't care. Like, if if the purpose of the spiritual gifts is love, I define it to my church as empowered mm-hmm. love. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, comes right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14. And if I can move all mountains, even if the, the miracle is performed, but if there's no love... Mm-hmm. And somebody might argue, well, it's an ultimate desire for love because then they'll be healed when you roundhouse grandma on the jaw. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's still just not love. Sure. Okay. So I'm going to go with no, that's never okay. Um, but you, uh, in your book, you talk about healing versus harm it, when it, under the category of risky. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to speak to these things. Mm-hmm. Healing versus harm, prophecy versus false prophecy deliverance versus spiritual abuse, authentic manifestations versus religiousness. Could you talk through those and, and explain why do you see these as, as contrasts and maybe give us a little bit, fill it out for us, right. how you see right. this in Scripture and in
2: life? So I, I I think for you know every good thing that can come out of ministry time, there is an equal opposite that can come out. So you can see people healed. You saw, see that in Scripture. Jesus heals people. You can also see... You know, people have trauma from this stuff. Like I told you about my friend, false prophecy, where people are uh, speaking out in God's name what they want to see happen rather than what the Spirit is prompting. Um, You know, there's spiritual abuse where I'm trying to get you to do my will in God's name. And lastly, there is, um, you know, fake manifestations where... I'm trying to work something up so that I, I feel cool or the pastor notices me. And so a lot of churches don't have ministry time because of the potential harm. And yeah. So all of those
1: things are potential harm. Har- yeah. Well, so harm, false prophecy, spiritual abuse, religiousness. Sure. You've seen it
2: all happen. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So so why keep doing it? Because I've seen the good happen. I've, 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 I've seen... God move. I've seen him heal. I've, I've seen him give prophetic words. And so um, because of that, I go, how do we end up at healthy ministry time every time and powerful ministry time every time? Mm-hmm. And I think you can. Um, and I think that comes to defining your win. So a lot of people go, go, all right, God can heal. I want to see healings and just try to make healings happen. Or God can give the gift of tongues. Um, let me make the gift of tongues happen rather than go, well, what's the father doing? Because Jesus said, I always did what I saw the father doing. And so I define the win for ministry time is to do what the father is doing in a healthy way. And if I do that every time, no matter what happens, um, it it's going to be good mm-hmm. um, because people will be loved and, and will p- have partnered with what God was doing.
1: Right. So – Uh, okay. Miller, I'm gonna give you a second comment. Jump in.
3: Yeah, sure. So I'm curious to know, this is actually a question somebody else is asking. I think it's a pertinent question. What's one of the most common abuses you see when it comes to ministry time? I know you mentioned the the healing one, like this idea that we could punch somebody in the face and suddenly they'll be made Mm -hmm. well, like Smith Migglesworth, but there's, 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 you mentioned prophetic, you've mentioned others. Mm -hmm. What are, what's probably what you see most often that is actually harmful to people?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Um I think sometimes prophesying what you want to see rather than what God's saying. Yeah, that's common. Especially with healing. Um is is telling someone their their mom's going to be healed and they have they're dying of cancer. Um because then you have to go, well, d- did God miss it? Mm-hmm. Um and and so yeah. Okay, so on
1: on that example because you define it as uh, a- to do this in a healthy way, it looks like doing what the Father is doing, mm-hmm. right? So that person feels like the Father is healing that person. So how do we know whether we're doing what the Father is doing or whether we're just biased and we really care about the person, we want God to heal them? Like mm-hmm.
2: how, how do we even discern whether mm-hmm. we're doing what the Father is doing? I I personally wait for words of knowledge that are clear. Um, and for me personally, God speaks through pictures and it's hard for me to self-generate p- pictures, and so um, that is my personal uh, parameters of I'm, I'm I'm not trying to say what I want to say in God's name, and I have a I know myself well enough that I I know what I would want to see happen in these situations.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So so coming back to the win of doing what God is doing in a healthy way.
2: Show us a time that you've seen this in a small group. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think what I do in small groups is, um, you know, I I would teach through all the gifts as you know over a five or six week period, and then um, after that I would just talk for about ten minutes, and we would just wait on the Father, and people would start getting words of knowledge like they did at, at church the other night, and we would start. So, yeah. And so,
1: so a word of knowledge, divinely revealed fact about somebody's life. Sure. So you're, after you've done some front end training, you're waiting on the Lord and, um, and this small group can become a training for that altar ministry team, if you want to call it that, but it starts there. And so you're, you're walking a group through, you've done some initial trainings Mm -hmm. and you're saying, let's just wait on the Lord. Somebody in the room says, uh, you know, as soon as we started praying, I felt uh, I felt a tingling mm-hmm. in my in my knee that was is really weird. It, it feels like it's on fire right mm-hmm. now, and I I'm not even touching. it. I wasn't even thinking about my knee. I thought God wasn't going to speak to me, and now my my knee is mm-hmm. like somebody rubbed icy hot on it.
2: Mm-hmm. What would you do? I'm I, well. My role is to be a coach during this time mm-hmm. and to help people start connecting with what God is doing, and so I'm trying to transition the whole group to find out what God is doing by, um, asking questions like, you know, is, is God healing someone's knee right now or, or does someone have knee pain? And if they do reveal that, um, I'll have the person who got the word of knowledge, go over and pray for the person that had, that had the knee pain. Okay. Miller, does that sound about like what, what you
1: do in that situation? Somebody's got a burning knee.
3: I mean, yeah, absolutely. Or, I think the, the... Or
1: maybe I'd ask this. Miller, do you have... Because you're a story guy. Do you have a story of a small group where somebody... You were doing something like what Elijah said. You were trying to do what the father, you saw the father doing. You're kind of coaching this group along. Uh, can you think of a scenario where you've been doing that and someone in the group got a word of knowledge and that kind of guided at the time?
3: Um, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of one where I was playing the, the role of coach or facilitator, but... I do recall being at your church, um, years ago and Jack was leading a home group and we went to Jack's home group, uh, where he was sort of facilitating the whole uh, process. And he asked us if, 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 we had any words. And I remember there was one guy in the group, I think he actually, uh, you'll, you'll probably remember him after I tell the story. But, uh, when I was praying prior to the meeting, um, I saw a picture of a brown polished desk. Okay, uh, so let me back up a second. Elijah, one of the things that I tend to do is when I go to a meeting, I'll be praying the whole meeting. And when I um, am training others, I would encourage them to do the same thing. So when they Mm -hmm. come to church, when they come to a home group, hey, you guys always be praying, asking God to speak to you. Don't wait until the ministry time at the end, have stuff ready on the front end and let's see what happens. But, but th- so that's essentially what Jack had us do. And, and um, anyway, I was praying for this one guy. Saw a picture of a brown polished mat with a, or a brown polished desk with a black mat. He had his hands up against it, and he was saying, um, "You know, God, take my business. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing with it anymore." And I felt like what the Lord was showing me is that God had heard his prayer, that He was going to take his business and do something He could never do on His own, and um, that He also had a prophetic gift. And um, the guy was like. I was literally praying those words this morning. And, um, I mean, I had my hands up against a brown polished desk with a black mat. Uh, and and those were literally the words I prayed this morning, but I don't know Mm. about that prophetic gift. And I was like, well, the, the first word is probably to confirm the other as well. Um, but I think what this did is, is is I guess the point I'm trying to make is is it's a great story in and of itself about a time in a home group and those kind of things can happen when we pray but it's also uh that kind of demonstration is what allows other people to start taking risk as well. That's good. So,
1: okay, so when you define a win as doing what God is doing in a healthy way, mm-hmm. um why is it important for you to define the win? What does it achieve?
2: Uh, it, it gets everybody on the same page because people come to ministry time with their own agendas. Um, and so, you know, one person may not know what to do. Another person may go, I want everyone to speak in tongues if they come from a classical Pentecostal background or, or something like that. And so when you get everybody on the same page— um, it takes all the pressure off you as a leader. I I don't have to be the miracle guy. I am just here. Hey, God, we're going to try and do what God wants us to do, and I can just dial down and relax. Yeah.
1: Okay, well, here's—because you talked about risk. Here's another risk. You say, we're going to wait and see what God's doing. Yeah. And it seems like—I mean, nobody's getting anything. Yeah. And you're not getting anything. Because mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of our viewers, they they come from a cessationist background. Sure. They're going to try this in their small group. Nobody really knows how to hear the Lord. Nobody's used to you know. You talk mm-hmm. about hearing pictures and getting impressions and things like that. There's like no grid for it. So let's say you wait on the Lord and nothing happens. Has mm-hmm. that ever happened to you?
2: No, no, never. Um, like what I started out doing was I uh, because. I'd never done this before, is I just took a timer and I said, we're going to wait five minutes, and if God doesn't speak, um, we'll stop. And uh, the first time I did it, I I took a group of kids at Lee University, and I just told them on the prophetic. And then um, afterwards, I uh, I started like – having them dial down and it was three or four minutes into it man I was sweating bullets and then people started getting pictures and the p- pictures were crazy it was like I see a lamp falling out of heaven I see a skateboard falling out of heaven shattering and I'm like I don't know what this kid's saying and then I was just like does this mean anything to anyone and this kid uh, raised his hand and he said my life's falling apart and so I just asked the guy that got The pitcher to go over and pray for the guy, and when he did, the guy just started shaking and falling down. And I've never seen that in my life. At that point, was he like a skater or something? Like, is there any skateboard? I I, I don't know the connection. What I know is it powerfully touched that guy, and I'm, uh, I am confident God shows up if we wait. Like I've, I've I've seen. Go ahead.
3: What What do you mean when you said you used the word dial down? I remember Uh hearing that word, and I, I actually think. I think I know what you mean by that, but I think it's actually helpful to, to explain that sure. to our audience.
2: Uh, dialing down, setting your own agenda aside and just going, um, like, I, I don't want to do anything but what God does. And so is I I've, how I do it is I just kind of clear my mind and I just wait. So you don't go through like a list of potential de- diseases God's going to heal. And no. Then you
1: get to like disease number seven no. and you're like, okay, anyone got lupus? God's going to heal lupus. Right. You You just try to Clear your mind, or maybe focus on Jesus, but you're not mm-hmm. trying to like go through a list of things mm-hmm. that God might do, mm-hmm. and you just let them interrupt. Uh, I I know that for me, when it comes to hearing the the voice of the Lord, that's a that's a big deal to me because if it seems like it comes out of left field, mm-hmm. the knee burning example for for instance, if it seems like it comes out of left field, that that can be an indicator, like, "Hey, maybe this is the Lord." Mm-hmm. I mean, I still pray about it. I still wait and 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 kind of test it with Him and say, "Lord, is this really You?" And if I get that degree of confidence uh, that it is Him, then I share it. But um, but I I try not to just like focus on all the things God might do and then pick one, right? Because that's just me doing it myself, right? So for you, defining the the win helps us not create our own wins, right? Helps us focus on on really just just focus on God and what he wants to do. Right. And if we do what he would, and, and you know, that's the interesting thing about that example with the skateboard falling. Like even to this day, you, you tell the story and it was a win. Sure. And the win was this person got really ministered to. And, mm-hmm. and what maybe was a, a milestone moment, a powerful moment, mm-hmm. an encounter with the Holy Spirit, Um, that's a huge win. But there's still a mysterious part. You don't know right. what that means. Now, Now, maybe he has like a long past of skateboarding. We don't actually know um, why that happened. But I I noticed the same thing on um, the other night when you ministered. You you felt like a burning in your heart. And you just asked, does anybody else Mm -hmm. have a burning in your heart right now? Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of out of nowhere. Your heart just started burning when we prayed. And somebody raised your hand, her hand. And I think two people raised their hand. Sure. And you just said... You pray for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what the Lord's going to do. Right. But then the Lord, I I think it was one of them ended up getting a prophetic word that her husband from the audience testified, oh, my gosh, that's so right on. Mm -hmm. Now, you didn't like prearrange that. No. And you just kind of followed what seemed to be the leadership of the
2: Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit, though? Uh, because people's lives are transformed again and again through the process. So you know after. I, I know after. <laughs> um, but I've given up my fear of getting it really wrong um, because m- I, I just trust God to move like I trust the sun to come up in the morning. There's just the whole – I I have a core belief the Holy Spirit wants to – move in his church there there's just no question about it sometimes it's very subtle like sometimes it's a spirit of peace other times it's dramatically powerful i've, I've seen people get social security numbers um i've seen crazy healings but what i'm well, saying explain to explain that a second why why show somebody what uh
3: what their social security number is not that i doubt it i've just sure i imagine that's um, got to be a question
2: i i, I think the credit whole, card number
3: seems more useful
2: Right, <laughs> uh, you can access a lot though with a social
3: security. Right. You probably
2: get the credit card and much yeah. more. <clears throat>
3: right, but, um, but but that is, because I, I, mean, I I've never I, tried. Here is the other thing: I wouldn't want if God gave me somebody's social security number. I don't think I would want to share that publicly. I, th-
1: I, I, it was the last four, last, so it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> did, did you do this? Like in my college, like this is like in the okay, so early two thousands. We used to post our. The teacher would post our grades. 200 people in a class, everyone's full social security number.
2: No way. Oh, yeah.
1: But it was before anyone was thinking about that. Right. I'm old. Right. So, okay. All go nice. ahead.
2: So. Okay, so. Wait, anyway, a- answer to the question. Why why would that be the detail? I have no clue. Like, God is God, and he knows what he needs to reveal. Um, and we don't have to judge what he's doing. We just have to be faithful to go, all right, I've got these digits, and uh, does this, you know, mean something to someone? And frequently it does. And the the great thing about doing small group ministry over a multi-year period is you know everything about everyone. Like there's, you know their lives, and so there's no like, how do I put it? If There's no need to make up stuff. Um, because what, what you're trying to do is just keep pushing into what God's doing. And Mm so I had a small group that we ran for about five years doing the stuff like this. And by the end, like we were getting words of knowledge to like go, like we would get a word of knowledge, like dump all your money into the center of the room and we'd get like $250 or something. And then God would tell people exactly where to go and give it away. And so someone saw a picture of a star and three or four road names, and they drove down those roads. And there's a Hard- Hardy's, It's like a Carl's Jr. out west. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, there was a homeless family that needed money. And, like, uh, if, if, if you keep pressing in, God will just keep doing more and more amazing stuff. Yeah.
1: Okay, so take us into a small group and walk us through the process, uh-huh. uh, kind of from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had the training of maybe five or six weeks, mm-hmm. and then you're going to guide a time. Sure, sure, sure. So
2: what I do, first of all, is I'll set the small group at 6 o'clock and then not start till 6.30 so people can chat. Um, because when it comes to ministry time, I don't want people chatting or giving advice. I I feel that above all kills what God's trying to do. And people want to reconnect with their friends. Um, You know, we may have some type of worship time. We may not, there may be a small teaching time, but then what I do is I just, uh, I restate the win. Hey guys, what we're going to do is just, uh, we're going to set our own agendas aside and we're going to partner with what God is doing in a healthy way And, uh, while we're doing that, I try to coach and transition people, you know, if they get a burning in their arm, I lead them to go pray for someone or something else. Um, and then afterwards we try to debrief, um, especially like what we kind of had at church the other day where people are, you know, manifesting spirits or something. Uh, you, there's people who are like, ah, freezing inside and they just need to hear the leader go, well, yeah, that, that stuff's weird and uh but god's setting people free
3: so you when you say debrief you mean more of a uh coaching them after the fact like hey this happened let's at least talk about it so there's no no room for confusion right um do you do any kind of debrief where after you guys have after you've watched people deliver a word um we mentioned earlier the, the risk of not just mm-hmm. the benefit of what God is doing, but also mm-hmm. the risk of, of hurting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you steer conversations in a way, or do you do a debrief afterwards to sort of talk about, hey, you know, here's another way we could have phrased that. What would you think of done it, doing it this way? Yeah, well, What does that look like?
2: Uh, every, every time. If it gets awkward or unhealthy you definitely debrief after that um, anytime the demonic manifest I, I try to debrief or wild manifestations um, unless there's no new people there like if your team has been there um you know for weeks and they all kind of get what's going on I, I, I don't worry so with the, the context of the context of who's there and how informed they are
3: actually plays a big difference
1: yeah yeah definitely you mentioned you said that did I hear you right? You said advice, like giving advice kills the ministry time. Oh, yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Um, yeah. Um, if, if, if the goal is to find out what the father is doing, um, what happens is people might get a word of knowledge and then go, yeah, uh, I'm struggling with something with my dad. And then four or five people start sharing, well, try this, try this, try this. That's not what we're there to do. And so I, I make it a high priority like you want to give advice, give it after the group. We don't do it during ministry time. Yeah. I like that. I, I mean, which I, go, me go too. ahead Miller.
3: Well, I, I was going to say, Michael, do you remember when you and I and a bunch of the guys got together with Jack and we talked about, we, we were learning to talk about our emotions, <laughs> probably our the emotions. first time we'd ever done that. <laughs> our oh, emotions. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, it was really actually rather humorous. Jack gave us a, a chart of emotions and he was like, hey, you feel sadness here in your gut, and you feel, you know, anxiety here in your chest, and all of that. But uh, one of the rules that he had in that group was we are not allowed to give advice mm-hmm. at all.
1: And yeah, the reason fact, why you remember was what he because called it Miller, he said, I don't. What did he He call- said, stop shooting all over that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You That's should. You said. should. <laughs> no more shooting. He said, you're shooting all over them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I
3: forgot about that. Well, um, one of the reasons why was because whenever you give somebody advice, you immediately put yourself in the one-up position and that person in the one-down position, um, which which leaves them feeling less safe and less willing to divulge mm-hmm. and take risk and be vulnerable. So yeah, I'd yeah, imagine that's part and, of and it.
1: honestly, in ministry, that's helpful anyway. Like advice should be the very last thing, mm-hmm. the, like the last stage of or close to the last stage of ministry. Like somebody comes to you and it, like whether it's by word of knowledge and you discover somebody's heartbroken and going through a really difficult time or whether you're just talking to somebody and they tell you about their heartbreak. The last thing you want to do, I I mean, you don't want to jump right in with your magical advice Mm -hmm. because really they've just unveiled their heart and you've told them, Oh, well maybe this is because you haven't done something quite right. Mm -hmm. That's not what they need. Mm -hmm. Very first thing I always say is I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you're going through this, mm-hmm. and I, we'll kind of sit in that for a little bit before we even dive into ministry. Um, it, if and, and honestly, listening is a bunch of the ministry. I mean, as a as a pastor, like most of my speaking is on Sunday mornings because the the rest of the week I'm listening to people, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Uh, listening is such is is itself a ministry. So, mm-hmm. uh, okay, so you were talking about. Uh, uh, so advice that kills. What are some other ministry time killers? Okay, can um, I can I throw one out? Throw one out. Okay. Because here's what happens. Uh here, here's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're teaching people how to how to prophesy. They they see something. They want to talk for five minutes about their vision. Right. And it goes on and on and on. Like if you ever had somebody tell you like a long dream mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, uh, can right. you write it down. Right, <laughs> like, it's a digital digital like a email.
3: ministry time where they come up to you with a million needs, and you're like, okay, let's just slow the roll here. <laughs> let's yeah. Just, yeah. just pray.
1: Yeah, so that you know they want to talk on and on and on, and then there's the interpretation. They talk some more. Like they can talk for ten minutes easy, right? And you don't even know what the prophetic word was. What right. do you
2: do? Um, I, I think this is the most important part of being a coach during ministry time is that what you have to do is to learn everybody's got this edge about them. And so it's not always the same, like people don't all have the same issues. It's like the one guy that does this. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, you have to be willing to hurt feelings and to, like, there's a difference between hurt, which is a temporary pain, and then harm, which is long-term damage. And if you let things go on in group or or during ministry time for too long um, and don't go and confront that person, you, sh- you should do it privately. But uh, what you'll do is end up harming the group dynamic. And so... Um, That is the hardest thing for ministry time coaches is they're not willing to go and talk to people about their problems that they bring to the group. And uh, I I, I think that if you want to be a good leader in the church, you've got to be willing to do that one-on-one confrontation Mm -hmm. at times. Yeah.
1: Okay, so a question from Darren P. Plies. He says, uh, Is the Lord cool with people miss speaking for him for the sake
2: of risk hmm oh no uh, i i don't think you should do it just for the sake of risk if if your goal is i'm trying to hear god's voice and i make a mistake in the process that's very different than i'm just trying to take risk um and i i'm unconcerned with listening to god mm-hmm Miller, how would you answer that question? Um,
3: well, I would, I would kind of be curious to know what he means by "for the sake of risk," because I encourage people to take risk all the time. I think risk mm-hmm. is a good thing, you know. It's, and I think he's probably responding to that that John Wimberism of um, faith is spelled R I S K. And so, I don't think that anybody who says those kind of things actually means risk for risk's sake. I think what we mean is, like, when for me when I I'm going to do a, a conference, which Michael and I, you're going to be, are going to be doing a couple of ones this, this fall. Uh, I'm always praying beforehand, you know, God, give me specific words of knowledge, um, names, uh, conditions of people's bodies. Um, and so and instead of just like a general word, I'm asking God for specific words for specific people in the room. And the reason I'm doing that is because it puts my reputation completely in God's hands. Either I'm right or I'm wrong. And that's the place that we want to be in when it comes to ministry time. But it's not—it's not just risking for risk's sake. It's—it's it's risking within a, uh, in the sense of I'm seeking God for more specific things that would cause me to look foolish if I'm wrong. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I have a few thoughts too. Um, and and Darren, I think it's a uh, a great question. Um, First of all, I would say there's a sense in which even I as a teacher on Sunday morning who does not claim infallibility at all in my teaching, I am trying to represent the Lord. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm, I'm trying to represent Him. Uh, do I want to say to myself, you know what, there's a chance I will misrepresent Him, therefore I will never teach? Like that would be an unreasonable response to not risk. In fact, this is the parable of the talents is to bury your talent in the sand. So no matter what your spiritual gift is there, it it involves a stepping out and a connecting with someone or a group of people in a way that requires risk. I would also say that when it comes to prophecy, and I know what you train for, Elijah, and what all of us train for is we don't, we train people not to use language such as I'm representing God and speaking his word to you. Thus says yeah. the Lord. Uh, we teach him to say things like, "My sense is that God is saying this." I feel and think uh, my my deeper spiritual sense is that God is saying this. Okay, and and we encourage people to to even co- maybe communicate during the word, like so. Take that, take that and weigh it before the Lord and discern it. And so we encourage that that kind of environment. So I, I don't think it's quite a proper classification to say we're going out there and represent, like misrepresenting the Lord as if we're saying, thus says the Lord, this or that. Now, I'm not saying, no, some people do do that. I'm saying mm-hmm. that's just not, not the way that we would train. When uh, Go ahead.
3: Well, Michael, we also encourage people in our communities that to take responsibility for when they get it wrong. Matter of fact, uh, something that, that we did at Wellspring when I was with you was every word that we gave from the stage in particular that was public was always recorded. And we would ask the person their name so that way we could be held accountable for any damage that we might do if we were off. And so I, I think there is a level of soberness in that. I, I wouldn't um, discount that. There has to be some accountability. In the same, same way that there has to be accountable for teaching, that's bad. You know, if I teach something that's off um, and somebody points it out to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Dang. Okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll fix that and correct it this next week. Um, so both of those things would be yeah. true.
1: Yeah. And so I think for me, like, because Darren followed up with uh, a comment uh, using that word that you just used, Michael sober. Like, shouldn't we be feel more sober minded about the fact that sure. we've, like, missed it? We've misrepresented the Lord. And I, I think that if we communicate in a certain way, like, hey, my sense is that God is saying this, but weigh it before the Lord. And if it's wrong, I, I think that's a very different situation than saying, I prophesy X is going to win the presidency. Mm-hmm. I prophesy such and such is going to happen with the economy. Yeah. Sell your stock like those kinds of things. There should be really heavy sobriety and mm-hmm. deep profound repentance if those are missed, because there's a lot of people relying on those kinds of words.
3: Mm-hmm. So we, the, the problem is we don't want to overemphasize uh, the repercussions of getting it wrong to the point where people are afraid to do anything at all. Um and that, that's another major issue. And I would say the same thing, like, um, I mean, a, a big hindrance to preaching the gospel is fear of persecution, fear of people disliking you. And we have to create an environment where people have courage to do those things uh, and that they overcome fear. So, uh,
1: Elijah, do you ever come across people uh, like in a ministry time, like their bad theology comes out? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. So like what what would be like maybe an example of that?
2: Um, I, I'm I, listening. I, th- I think people who <laughs> treat faith like a thermometer, if you get it up to a hundred percent, you're necessarily going to be healed, um, would be one that I can think of. Okay. So what do you do if somebody, so like, uh, yeah, go
3: ahead. C- just clarify that when you say hundred percent, you mean like they're trying to conjure up psychological certainty.
1: Is that what you mean by yeah. that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so As, no, that plays the, the difference. Yeah. So you just. You'll just gently kind of redirect that in the moment if you see it pop up.
2: Well, I, and I also try to talk to the person afterward. And this is something you're going to run into as a leader uh, in, in church world, as a you know prayer team leader or small group leader or a pastor, is there's times when the prayer minister you're working with theological uh, background is so different than yours. That you need to stop having a theology conversation and start having a come to an understanding Mm -hmm. conversation where you go, we don't do this at Wellspring. And if you want to be on our prayer team, you can't do this here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay, so now, what's the difference between ministering in a small group setting, these Mm -hmm. things that we've talked about, to ministering at the altar Okay. To ministering, and by altar we mean mm-hmm. um, nobody's getting sacrificed
2: here, right?
1: And, um, <laughs> you mean the front of the church, <laughs> yeah, the front of the church. At maybe yeah. at the end of a service, people get right. in prayer, and maybe a during the service, some sort of ministry mm-hmm. that's happening. Take us through the the differences and mm-hmm. and how the things that you've communicated apply in the different scenarios.
2: Yeah, um, so. One of the reasons I've been emphasizing small group training so, so far is that's the best way to develop prayer ministers. Um, you cannot go to a conference that's three days long on deliverance or the prophetic and then be sat on a prayer team and expect to pick it all up. Um, and so as you build your prayer team um, I, when I was a prayer team leader I would pull people from my small group when I'm like this person's ready they're healthy they got common sense they're biblical um, and they had the vision and values of the church um, as a you know when I'm doing this on a stage as a minister you kind of have to gauge where the church is at um, and and to realize if you want to bring some churches into prayer more progressive experience, you know, inviting people up to get prayer is one modality. Another is um, like starting to get people to pray for each other during the service, but you have to build trust uh, mm-hmm. with that congregation um, and, and to have healthy people doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I often see God move really powerfully when we make time during services and pray as a body and maybe uh i mean it's beautiful to me for well, sure what is
1: that i mean okay so a lot of these people i mean they come from churches where you know they got to be in and out because there's another service coming yeah. at 1102 or whatever yeah, right. it is and so like taking time to pray for people during the service can you see a way in which that fits into a more traditional liturgy and still kind of making time for that or mm-hmm. is it pretty much well, you just gotta be charismatic like
2: the rest of us. I mean, like yeah, this is the hard part. You, people that are pastors love to talk, and so if you can cut your sermon back, you can make time for prayer. Well, or, that's a, yeah, that's, yeah, a no yeah. can do. <laughs> that's a no can <laughs> do. That's not making time for that God. is that they is want to hear me <laughs> entirely tire, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we like
1: to preach. Oh so. man, that's good. Uh, okay. Well, so,
3: uh, I got a question for you. What would you? How would you differentiate between somebody who's ready for uh, prayer ministry at the front of a church versus stage ministry where you're leading an audience?
2: Oh, that's a really what the, good. What question. is the difference in qualification? Uh, I think. Prayer and ministry, would you differentiate? Yeah, I think prayer ministry in front of a church is just you know how to pray with the spirit and you're a generally healthy person. I think uh, leading on stage is being able to coach. Um, and so what you have to learn at that level is what do you do when things get awkward and weird, Hmm. um, and are either going a good direction or a bad direction, weird. How do I get things back on, on course? Or what do I do when I don't know? What would you do if
1: somebody in your church spoke in tongues at the top of their lungs, drawing everyone's attention
2: to themselves and you were the pastor? <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I don't know. Um, because it, it could come on down to the altar. <laughs>
1: come
3: down well, this is like, the, the normal like the Pentecostal
2: altar. church, right? Um, it, it would depend on who's doing it. Um, if, if it was someone I trusted deeply, like there are prophets that I've had in my life where the level of trust I had with this person was I would just pray, God tell Wayne. Like I, I, and so like if, if that guy's praying for me, uh, I I would be open to it. Uh, And so it's about relationship. I think at that level, Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, he would get prophetic words that like there was stuff I shared with no one. And he would just come to me and be like, this is what the Lord says on this matter. Um, and so, it, it, if, if people are starting to engage at that level, um, they need to have uh, some relationship with the senior pastor, I, I would think. And I, I would say, you know, in First Corinthians 14, it talks about restraining yourself a bit sometimes, uh, w- restraining even the Holy Spirit inside of us uh, when it comes to speaking oh, yeah. in tongues, if there's no interpreter. And so... Um, I would be very cautious about that. And we need to do it biblically.
1: Right. So if you knew there was an interpreter in the room and it was somebody you you
2: trusted, you'd be like, let's see what God does. I, I would be open to it. Yeah. yeah. But it would be awkward to me. Yeah. But you have to embrace awkward. Like there is no such thing as uh, a person who leads ministry time that just doesn't feel awkward all the yeah. time. Well, and I, yeah, the space that I'm talking laid- about,
3: go ahead, sorry.
1: I was going to say the space in which I'm I I lead a church. It's a church in which we practice all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and yet there's you know expositional preaching, and so sure. there's word and there's spirit, and so we're going to have people coming in who have no clue. And honestly, every church, in my opinion, should mm-hmm. treat it as though there's going to be somebody uh, who might come in who has no clue about mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Paul poses such a scenario in First Corinthians 14, and I think it's incumbent upon whoever's leading that meeting if something like you know crazy happens i think it deserves an explanation sure and, and it's a perfect time for that pastor to uh on on one hand say hey we we want to pursue all that the spirit has for us and on the other hand like and we want to do it in the way that the spirit prescribes via the scriptures and just kind of like talk through it's kind of right is is what i'd recommend but i i, I love that you know it's like you want to make space for how the sure. lord might move sure miller what we gonna say
3: um, I just think there's a big difference between the gathering of believers when, uh, where, where we come to the Lord's table and we're having a teaching and all of that versus a, uh, that, that particular space I don't think is the best environment to just let anybody do uh, public tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, however, small groups where you have more inter, you know, interpersonal react, uh, interaction – um i think are a fantastic place for people to to grow in those things experiment Uh, and when i say experiment follow the leading of the holy spirit experiment in that sense like learning how to hear his voice and follow what he's prompting us to do yeah um i think when it comes to the the sunday service um jack deere was said this to us that i thought was super helpful is we would never show up to church that sunday and say who would like to give the sermon and the reason why is because when it comes to that particular gift of teaching, we have a standard for what that should look like, mm-hmm. and we won't. We don't want to lower the bar for the other gifts. Uh, you know, say, well, well, when teaching, we evaluate it this much, but with these other gifts, it's sort of you know whatever. We actually want to raise the bar for the other gifts and bring them to the same standard. So, in that place, I would say, um, in my church, I wouldn't let just anybody shout out in tongues. I would actually correct it. Um, you know, there's a reason not everybody has a microphone when they show up on Sunday. Um, and and however, if there was somebody I really trusted and they said, Hey, I feel like I've got a a tongue for the church and, um, interpretation and all that. I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, The, the way he would say it, Jack would say it would be Sunday mornings for the mature expression of the gifts. And Mm -hmm. I agree with, I agree with that. So they're like, um, in a small group, it's it's not a huge deal if sure. people are kind of learning uh, how to do these things. I mean, it, it, even to use the gift of teaching, for instance, I might start somebody out teaching in a small group. Then maybe I let them mm-hmm. teach in a men's or women's gathering, or maybe a youth group, or something like that, and it can gradually get toward mm-hmm. a Sunday morning pulpit if if they've got mm-hmm. that if they have that level of gifting. And I think the same with prophecy and all the supernatural gifts. That I think for a, a Sunday morning, you probably don't want to give the the microphone to to somebody who. Uh, doesn't know what they're doing. But of course, this was a scenario where a random dude
2: just yeah, starts yeah, going. Yeah. So. yeah, and what's worse than random tongue is people bringing their own music instruments. Yeah. Oh, come that, on, man. That's cool. Yeah, no kidding. Next level.
1: What about flags? What? <laughs> they start waving flags.
2: I can handle flags. You can it's handle flags? The guy that brings a shofar or tambourine, I'm just like <laughs> blowing it behind my ear. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I I always want to say
3: to those people, listen, if you were meant to play an instrument in the service, you'd be on the stage with the other, (laughs) you know, worship (laughs) leaders. Uh,
1: You know, but there is is that sense of like, go ahead. Somebody had a question about music and I can't remember. Oh, their name is R17. What are your thoughts on using music to maybe facilitate emotion instead of something actually from God? Mm -hmm. Is it possible to use music manipulatively? If so,
2: how do we avoid that? Mm. I mean, it's possible, um, and you can certainly do that. I, I, I think it comes down to, you know, Jesus wants people who do the right things for the right reasons. Like, hypocrisy is doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. And so God always looks at the heart of the person. I can't read hearts, but what I can do is develop relationships with worship leaders and get to know their hearts. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the most helpful parts of leading ministry time in a small group is working with a worship leader that I could give the freedom to start worshiping as the spirit led them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think you can do this manipulatively. Um, I think some churches do and – don't become that. Is all I can tell you. Yeah. Well, let me ask that question, but differently. Okay. Do
3: you think there's any benefit to having people uh, playing their instruments and worshiping in the background while we're doing ministry time?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, if if that's what the Lord is doing, um, sometimes it helps in that it creates a type of privacy. Full, so the music kind of covers over what's being said, um, and it allows other people to worship in the room. And I think sometimes, you know, worship and intercession is a part of ministry time as well. Yeah. You know, what I'm thinking about is just
1: from the Old Testament where uh, I want to say it's Second Kings chapter 3 where Elisha requests somebody to play the harp, and then the hand of the Lord comes upon him and he prophesies. Mm-hmm. Might be chapter five but it might be chapter three Mm -hmm. one of those uh anyway but the music is is like somebody might have looked from the outside and said oh he's manipulating the situation but there is something to be said for the lord is enthroned upon our praises and so when you worship him the spirit of the lord is manifesting his presence in a new way that enables facilitates prophetic ministry in that case for elisha or take another scenario, uh, King David, for Samuel sixteen eighteen. David's a harp player, and when he plays the harp, uh, Saul is relieved from the power of the Holy Spirit, or sorry, the power of the evil spirit uh, that's upon him. And so you have basically something like an exorcism, and and plus prophecy. What we would they're almost like prototypical of what we see in the New Testament with the manifestation of the spirit and associated with the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think a case can be made that, that music does assist the flow of the Holy spirit. And, and then I would also say this, um, I think, I think the charge of manipulating with music is overdone. Hmm. Um, because, First of all, I've given some spiritual reasons for why music is, is good and helpful. But, um, but even beyond spiritual, we are not just spiritual creatures. 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 I, I just <laughs> said it like you read it. Um, <laughs> uh, we're physical, we're right. mental, and we are emotional. Right. And what if God gave music to affect the emotions in a certain way? I don't mm-hmm. think it's a mistake that the most emotional book of the Bible is the Psalms. Mm. that were accompanied by instruments. Mm-hmm. Music is sort of like if words are the language of the mind, music is the language of the heart, or the soul. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think there's something to be said uh, for Maybe, music and emotional connection.
3: I, th- I think we could uh, probably at some point do an episode on this, and I think it would be wise to... Because uh, so, like I, I met somebody just mentioned. Well, that's a descriptive, not prescriptive, way of looking at it. Well, yes, it is. He's right. He's used descriptive texts to make that case. But the fact is, it's a repeated descriptive thing that happens. It's not just the you know hands lifted up and praise God is thrown upon the praise of His people um, out, of, out of the Psalms. It's not only that David played the harp and commanded or and, and sort of quelched an evil spirit. You see it all throughout the Old Testament when it comes to warfare in general. Um, you see it at, at Jericho. They, that was a worship taking place that allowed, you know, that, that that was sort of the the way that God wanted to go about bringing the overtaking of Jericho down, right? Um, same thing to be true with Moses. when they, I think they were up against the Amalekites. He had his hands uplifted. Um, and, and whenever he brought his hands the down, they would the lose army. the word.
1: Jehoshaphat sent an army out in front and, or sorry, instead of an army out in front, the, the worshippers in front of his army, I guess it was yeah. Uh, Second Chronicles 20 that they, um, they're worshipping the Lord and the Lord just wins the battle mm. um, so
3: there is a lesson to be learned from repetition that is how we make, uh, while it is not prescriptive, it is descriptive repetition also does bring the point that worship is warfare the right. fact that it's a repeated pattern in the Old Testament yeah,
1: okay uh Elijah, how would you how would you summarize like the uh and, and this is maybe for all of us and my Ma- Michael, actually maybe I'll start with you, maybe and give you a second to collect your thoughts, and I'll just I'll just put Miller on the on the spot. Uh Miller, if you were to kind of put all this together in a in a final closing golden nugget, what would you say is the takeaway?
3: Uh I think probably the big takeaway that I heard from Elijah was this idea of defining what the win is. Now, uh, the win is not um just seeing something powerful, the win is seeing something powerful and healthy. That's what we're going for. And I would say, if we don't see something powerful, let's at least see something healthy. Um, Because that is, at the end of the day, still going to show
2: people that we care. Okay. I think for me, um, the one thing I want people to take away is Jesus is the head of the church. And uh, he controls his church. And when we give... Our groups and our prayer ministry and our congregations back to him, and we say, You control this, he does. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have a lot of confidence he'll show up, is because I'm like, You're the head of the church. You do what you want.
1: Amen. Yeah. Amen. Hey, Miller, give us a sneak preview for next week's uh, episode on the Scottish Reformers on Wednesday.
3: Uh, A sneak preview. Let me just say that when we dive into the life of George Wishart, that one is fire. I mean, some of the testimonies are, that, that are recorded by John Howie are just amazing. Um, and listen, the, the guys we're talking about, most of them were martyred. Most of them were burned at the stake mm. uh, for their faith. And so the kind of prophetic utterances that came forward, um, I mean, just a number of, of different kind of things, uh, it, it'll really drive home the point of this idea that filling of the Spirit happens when we're facing a hostile audience. You want to be filled, have that happen, like be preaching the gospel and do it in a place where where you actually need God um, to to save you, so uh, and to help you be articulate. Anyway, I'm I'm super excited about that. This is one of my favorite uh, topics. So,
1: Amen, Amen. Yeah. So you guys, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss that episodes and other awesome episodes. We're coming out with three a week, two interviews Monday and Tuesday, 4 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, and then on Wednesday to be continued talking all things gifts of the Holy Spirit, hit that subscribe button. And if you wouldn't mind considering, we are a crowdfunded ministry. And so this means uh, that that we actually we need finances. We need help in order to make this ministry run and to and to do the things that we're able to do. So if you wouldn't mind considering clicking on the link in the description for patreon you can you'll have access to uh, to exclusive content extra content for as little as five dollars a month uh, and so that's one way that you could help us or if you prefer a one-time donation you can f- also find the link on patreon so if you wouldn't mind considering doing those things help us out a little bit feed Josh's children uh, that would be, uh, that'd be great. So thank you guys so much. And, uh, Elijah, we've never had an extra guest on to be continued. So oh, wow. it's an honor to have you, uh, have oh, hey, you on Wednesday show, show your show. book up again. Yeah. Show the yeah, book. Yeah. Let everybody know your book one more time. Yeah. There it is. Leading Okay. Minister so. Time. okay so God bless you guys. Have a great week.